Hey everyone, welcome to Comedy History 101. This is Harmon. We have a very special holiday edition of Comedy History 101. Yes, it's part three of our history of John Belushi. That's right, we have two other parts if you want to go back and listen to them. But in this episode, we cover the making of the iconic Blues Brothers movie, which turned out to be a complete nightmare for Universal Pictures, but still manages to be one of the most iconic screen comedies of all time. But before we jump into the episode, if you like listening to Comedy History 101, let it be known. Give us a like, put a comment, subscribe. That way other people get to know about Comedy History 101. Also, we are an independent podcast, completely ad-free. So if you want to sponsor Comedy History 101, we're not going to stop you. You can do that on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash ch101. Throw in a few dollars each month, we will buy new microphones. And without further ado... You're stupid. Everybody's so stupid. The good thing about doing comedy in Russia, you have captured audience. You're stupid. Everybody's so stupid. Comedy History 101. John Belushi. You! How much for your wife? <laughs> Dan Aykroyd. After the gig, uh, maybe we could, like, uh, hang out together. The Blues Brothers. Are you the police? No, ma'am. We're musicians. Quite a trailer. Yeah, it's a big one. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. What you heard there was uh, an excerpt from the trailer of the classic 1980s movie, The Blues Brothers. And yes, you've tuned into another episode of Comedy History 101. Where we... What? School you in comedy. I am Harmon Leon. With me is Scott Kalonico. Scott, I have a question for you. Yes, Harmon. When you when you when you hear the phrase <laughs> we have a budget for cocaine, what goes what comes to mind? <laughs> well, I would say first of all, first and foremost would be the movie The, Bru- the Blues Brothers. Yeah, so <laughs> The Blues Brothers is you know, obviously it's a classic. It's a it's a iconic comedy classic movie. It stands the test of time. It mixes music and comedy and action all in one. But production of the Blues Brothers, kind of a mess. A little bit, yeah. Just to um, give you a uh, kind of a heads up here at the front. So I believe it was budgeted originally for $12 million. The creatives, meaning like kind of Landis and Aykroyd, later on asking for 20 And then it wound up being, I believe, let me double, double, double check. The, yeah, the, the final budget wound up being $30 million. And, and $3.2 million was just for the scene where uh, Blushy and Aykroyd as Jake and Elwood are being chased by the army. Yeah, that, that part is crazy <laughs> at the end. But, but, but I, you know, again, that's, you can see it. The money is on the screen. Yeah, exactly. And we'll dive a little bit more into the backstory of that. But just to update the uh, listeners, this is actually part three of not our three-part 
episode, our, our three-part series on the history of John Belushi. We've actually extended it to four parts oh because four I think parts. the 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 making of the Blues Brothers is 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 a chapter in itself and a, a big part of the John Belushi story because sadly, uh, spoiler alert, two years after the movie was released, uh, he was found dead. Ugh. 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 God, why am I starting on a downer? That's horrible. Dude. So why, why, I know. Yeah. So in in previous episode, we talked about the early days of John Belushi, where he got his start with Second City in the National Lampoon show Lemmings and the National Lampoon Radio Hour. And then the last episode was on his jump to fame with Saturday Night Live. And I mean, if you really think about Belushi in the public eye, he was just like six years, pretty much, was his kind of bookend career of being like a, a... a nationally known comedian. Pretty, yeah, pretty much from 70, 76 to 82. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Right. Yeah. Nail, nail meathead. Yes. Yeah. And kind of his last year of SNL began his downward spiral. Like there's that really creepy story that, that uh, we played a clip from in last show where Jane Curtin said that at the height of his fame, you know, like on the last year, she would catch like Belushi going through her purse yeah, in the was, dressing room. She she comes <laughs> she actually Jane comes across as the the most one of the most level headed people there. Who was she was there at the uh, SNL? Yeah, and so again, um, and we'll go into this, and also with John Landis, who was the director of both Animal House and the Blues Brothers. Uh, kind of Belushi's downfall was this: a lot of enablers. Uh, you know, Jane Curtin told Lauren Michaels that, you know, the star, the biggest star in comedy <laughs> is going through her yeah. purse and, and people's belongings. And Lauren Michael just kind of turned a blind eye to the whole thing. Yeah. Another thing that kind of fueled the frenzy was, you know, like Animal House, we talked about last episode. He would fly to Oregon to film Animal House like, you know, Sunday to Tuesday, then fly back to New York to rehearse and do SNL. And then he got another movie offer, which was the, what do you think of when you hear the movie 1941? Hey sailor, wanna help your country? Yeah, you out there, you in the audience. Why don't you enlist? Today, right now. Forget about the fitting of your new zoot suit with a dance on Friday night, or that strawberry blonde with a permanent wave country needs you, son. You gonna let her down? You think your best girl look good in a kimono? Eating teriyaki off a straw placemat? Here you go, Alwyn. I'd like to eat sauerkraut for the rest of your life. I think I, th- I think of, uh, oh my God. Okay, so here's the thing. If anybody here there is there from Austin, we all, we all regret the uh, famous Austin uh, VHS place, uh, I Love Video. We had a bunch of uh, locations in Austin. But anyway, well, I always think about this in I Love Video uh, in their main uh-huh. headquarters. So it was Eddie Dietzen was the guy in 1941. Uh, he had a, he, he, the guy who had the ventriloquist doll. <laughs> Actually, so in I Love Video in Austin, they would have a, an uh, Eddie Dietzen shelf. Because like, <laughs> like, that guy oh, yeah. was actually in a lot of movies. He was in 1941, and he was in Greece, and he was in a couple more kind of big movies. And then after that, he became kind of like the nerd guy that people would hire. Mm-hmm. So that that's what I think about when I think about 1941, to be quite honest. Yeah, <laughs> I've actually never seen it. But again, on paper, this sounds like it's going to go like through the roof. 
It was directed by Steven Spielberg. It was written by Bob Zemeckis, you know, our, from Back to the Future fame. Uh, it starred John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd. It, the premise was hysterical, hysterical Californians prepare, prepare for a Japanese invasion in the days after Pearl Harbor. And it was a horrible flop. So I don't know, the movie, I don't know, you haven't seen it, I've seen it, got a few funny bits in there, I mean, not, like, I think the thing is, it was like one of those things, if they would have not spent as much money on it, and released it, it would have been okay, but like, they spent so much money, also it was supposed to be a, it was a holiday movie, I think it was released in, yeah. um, and around Christmas time or something, and they were thinking it was going to be a big movie. It was like, dude, yeah, who's going to see? Oh, let's go watch a, a comedy about 1941. Yes, no. <laughs> about the Japanese invasion yeah, wow. days after Pearl Harbor, which kind of, which <laughs> kind of, sort of happened. There was a, they because they did uh, uh, Los mm-hmm. Angeles was shelled by the Japanese during a Japanese kind of U boat during the war, but it, it was just like once, or like one or right. two times. But yeah, but the whole the movies. Eh. Got some bits in it, you know, but hmm. yeah. Right. But the thing is, it starred Belushi, and like in Animal House, he was just sort of a you know a secondary role, but you know, kind of stole the whole movie. But here, he was like a major role, yeah. And much like in Animal House, he had to fly back and forth from New York to Los Angeles, you know, just sort of in a crazed schedule. And because of that, to help kind of fuel this energy. He began doing extensive amounts of cocaine. Sorry, I'm just saying. In this movie, he in 1941, he they might say he has a major role, but if you've seen the movie, it's not. Mm-hmm. It's not like he has like not that many lines in there, so it's it's actually really not a major role. Oh so, wow! I'm just okay. saying that. Yeah, I, it's I not. Have to put yeah yeah. yeah. Um, we need that. We need to do our 1941 episode. Yeah. Oh, oh, definitely. <laughs> oh, de- oh, there's a whole another. That's a whole another podcast. But like, yeah, that's definitely because he's yeah. That was how they sold it that he was going to be a big star in that thing. But he's got. I mean, I think he has like maybe like three or four lines. I mean, he's not in there that much. You know, like Dan Aykroyd's mm-hmm. in there, and and he's not even in there. He's like a tank commander. There's like way more people. Like, I think Ned Beatty has way more lives. <laughs> so Ned Beatty <laughs> from Deliverance is like kind of the yeah. Yeah. That's how we always remember Ned Beatty. Yeah, you know, no. he won he won the Oscar for, the Oscar. Uh, for his, Network. His seven minutes in Network. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a day gig, mm-hmm. you know? He just came in for the day and did the one scene and won the Oscar. But it's great. It's a great scene, man. <laughs> yeah, it's a great movie. I, I love Network. Yeah. Patty Chayefsky. Um know, but Belushi, uh, when he started doing tons of cocaine to keep the energy going from flying back and forth to New York, he uh his wife remembered uh, Blushy telling her, her, I don't know if I'm coming or going. Sometimes I can't even remember what day of the week it is. So apparently Belushi's lifestyle was a lot like ours during COVID. Yeah, <laughs> yep. We don't know what day of the week it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the movie was a, was a big flop that Michael Donahue, who we talked about in last episode because uh, he was in the opening sketch with Belushi on the very first episode of Saturday Night Live, began distributing buttons that read... John Belushi, born 1949, died 1941. Because the movie was... Which would be impossible. But a little creepy foreshadowing. Yeah, yeah. Because it was actually 1982 when he died. But, uh, so after the success of Animal House, both Belushi and Aykroyd left uh, Saturday Night Live, which helped kind of 
bounce into their next project, which was what, Scott? Which is actually the focus of today's episode. Uh, as a little movie about two gentlemen, two gentlemen, two brothers, who are very much into the blues, called the Blues Brothers. Yeah, raised in an orphanage. Yes. I mean, taught, was, the, taught the blues by the janitor. Yeah, I mean, it was great. Well, the, the great thing about this is that they kind of had, they kind of started on it when they were on, on Saturday Night Live, and they just kind of came up with this whole backstory to these characters about how they came together, how they met, you know, their whole backstory into the blues, which they wanted to incorporate into the movie, which to their to their benefit, that's pretty cool. But but the but the, when they actually came on Saturday Night Live, I mean, we're talking about like, it was basically five years between four mm-hmm. or five years between their first appearance in Saturday Night Live and then when the movie came out, and so they actually came up with this whole kind of backstory for these guys, which is like, all right, that's you know, you, you're not going to get the kind of backstory on La- Larry the Cable Guy, and I have seen, <laughs> I've, I've seen Larry the Cable Guy in the movie, I've seen it in the theater. One, one <laughs> question about Larry the Cable Guy: his his motion picture. Debut was called Larry the Cable yes, Guy. That was the one Health I saw. Inspector or something. With, yes, with our with our friend uh, uh, the podcast uh, Brendan Walsh. We, I went to us all me and him. Oh, wow. yeah, he was he was the Health Inspector, which is like that makes no yeah. Sense. So it should be Larry the Health Inspector. I know exactly because he's not a cable guy anymore. That would no, but point. just simple movie. It should have just been called Get Her Done. Yeah, Larry yeah. the Cable Guy and Get, <laughs> Get Her, Her Done. Done. But no, but you couldn't have done that in the Health Inspector because you know. It should have been just been Larry, get her done. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but anyways, we digress. But yeah, like you said, a uh, lot of backstory, so much so that Dan Aykroyd, who wrote the script, delivered a 324-page uh, <laughs> screenplay, which looked like the yellow pages. Well, apparently, so I read another thing, and they actually said, apparently, so apparently they just, they call, so he wrote it out, and then they call the executive at Universal, because there's a bidding war between, it was a Universal mm-hmm. and, I can't remember the other studio, but there was a bidding war, who was going to win it, so Universal won the rights to the movie. And then, so they said, okay, there's no script, so Aykroyd had to write the script, and then they just call, they called this executive at, at uh, Universal, they're like, go out to your doorstep at 10 o'clock tonight, right? <laughs> they just called, yeah. so they, they just, he, he went out there, and the script was there, and apparently, from what I read, it was actually wrapped inside a yellow pages, like a phone book cover. Yeah. We might need to oh, descri- yeah. describe that from for some of our younger viewers, but there was a thing called the yellow pages, which which was like the uh, printed out internet, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so they just put, and it was thick. That was the, that was the joke. It was very thick, and so they just put that the script inside a cover of the yellow pages. And Aykroyd's original screenplay title was The Return of the Blues Brothers. Uh-huh. And the writing cred he wrote was by Scriptatron GL9000. <laughs> yeah, no, very Aykroyd. I think you'd find that funny. Oh, yeah. It's very Aykroyd. And, the, and, their, and their pitch was very simple. It was uh, John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd, Blues Brothers, how about it? And that's what sold it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and the, the story behind it was so, it's pretty interesting because, you know, because uh, Belushi met Aykroyd. They didn't really know each other, but they were, um, you know, Aykroyd at the time was at Second City and Belushi. Toronto. Kind of, yeah. Like Toronto branch. Second yeah. City, Toronto. Yeah. So they met him around 1973 and Belushi was trying to to uh, poach um, Aykroyd to come work at the um, Lemmings and the um, National Lampoon Radio Hour. You know, where As Belushi talked was about in yeah. uh, the first episode of our our three to four part episode on John Belushi. 
Yeah, but this is but this was very this was like this was like a um a thing with uh Dan Aykroyd. So they met each other at a speakeasy slash bar called the three hundred and five club in Toronto, which was owned by Aykroyd. Five five oh five club. Five, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was Aykroyd's club, yeah. bar. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. his bar. And the thing was like they had a uh Aykroyd had a um a, a jukebox set up with all his like you know all the blues stuff rb bnb soul especially blues chicago blues memphis blues you know and then like uh he meets belushi the first time you know belushi he had, invites belushi over to this bar and they're like you know and, and uh you know Aykroyd's like what kind of music do you like and you know belushi's like ah, i like hard hard rock and stuff and and uh, bad Aykroyd, company yeah bad. <laughs> like, Aykroyd's <laughs> like do you like the blues and uh and uh belushi's like nah not really and like Aykroyd's like dude you're from chicago you know you've got yeah. to like the blues so that was pretty but like that's that's kind of a thing with with Aykroyd. he would just kind of Either yeah, buy he's happy a bar. To be in he, would e- well, he would either buy a bar or have one erected. They had one. We'll get to that. But they had one erected. Well, he has one now. It's called yeah. Uh, yeah. The the what is it called? The Blues Cafe or whatever. Well, he's got the House of Blues. But, yeah. Yeah, House of Blues. Yeah, sorry. sorry. Yeah. Yeah, oh, he's, so he's you know what, that's funny. Bar. I didn't even think about that in a line of all that. But like, so they he had this bar. Then they had we'll get to it. But then then when he was working, when him and Belushi were working on Saturday Night Live, they they co-owned a bar. Um, yeah. and it was way down. It was, it's down. Like the, it was like the after hours thing. Yeah, it was in, uh, down in Tribeca somewhere. And then apparently, when they were on set in L.A. on the Blues Brothers, they had them. They had the studio build them a bar on set. Yeah, and the thing about Aykroyd, he was happy to be in Canada. You know, he had a bar. He was actually on a, a bunch of Canadian TV shows. I tried to find them, like, before Saturday Night Live. And in an interview, he said, I was making more money than the prime minister. So <laughs> why did I want to leave Toronto? Yeah, okay. Um, I think, uh, trivia fact, I think his grandfather was a Canadian Mountie. Yeah, I knew that. Yeah, he, he had, he's he got a Mountie somewhere in his history, yeah, in his family's history, yeah. Yeah, so anyways, you know, the Blues Brothers came up uh, through Saturday Night Live, but Lauren Michaels, you know, he first wasn't sold on them. He, you know, they would play gigs around town. He would have them warm up the crowd, but he wasn't, you know, really sold on them, you know, peering live from New York. But he ended up reaching a compromise having the Blues Brothers premiere on January 17th, 1976, dressed as what, Scott? Oh, man, the Killer Bees. Remember the Killer Bees? Yeah, Belushi hated the Killer Bees. Yeah, they it was were like kind of... of in the first season. Yeah, when Chevy Chase was the star, Belushi was reduced to just doing the bees bit, and he hated that. The the bees and and swine swine flu, the bees and swine flu bits. Now, yeah, because like he'd be walking around New York, and people would just go, "Hey, it's the bees guy." <laughs> <laughs> and you know, this was like after Belushi was like a big star with National Lampoon, and then every, you know Chevy Chase kind of just stole the show. The first season of Saturday Night Live. But the first time the Blues Brothers played was, uh, and this goes full circle, when Carrie Fisher was the host of Saturday Night Live. I'm so I'm so Yeah, that's pretty cool. I, I, I still don't, so I've been researching, I still don't know... What the episode is where the when they came out and played Soul Man? That was like I don't know what episode that is. I will keep talking. We can cut this out because I need to find that out. Dude, this is ridiculous. Yeah. So Carrie Fisher, um, as you might know if you're a fan of the Blues Brothers movie, uh, also appeared in the Blues Brothers movie as Jake's jilted girlfriend. 
who tries uh, killing Jake. But in reality, she was dating Dan Aykroyd during I know, the film yeah. of the Blues Brothers. So, yeah, that was like, what's going on there? Yeah, yeah. But the Blues Brothers, what really kind of excelled them, as we talked about in last episode, Steve Martin asked them to open up a nine-night stint at the Universal Amphitheater in Los Angeles. Uh, the only problem is they didn't have a band, so they turned to David Letterman's best friend, Paul Schaefer, who was the SNL band leader who kind of drew up a list of, you know, kind of the top musicians who were paid heavily to be in the Blues Brothers band. And they recorded the album Briefcase Full of Blues, which went double platinum. And as we mentioned on January 24th, 1979, John Belushi's 30th birthday. Not only was he in the number one movie, Animal House, on the number one TV show, Saturday Night Live, he also had the number one album. Did, did friends think that was a good thing, such I'm, as Harold Ramis? No, no, no. We've, we've talked about this. We, we, we've talked about this already. So just to, um, the, the Harold Ramis saw, saw uh, Belushi on stage when he had the number one album, number one TV show, uh, number one, um, what was the other one? Number one movie in the country, and he was like, "Yeah, this is gonna go nowhere good." Just to follow up on that, Harmon, the first appearance of the Blues Brothers was January seventeenth, nineteen seventy-six, when they were called they were called uh, Howard Shore and his All B Band, and Howard Shore was actually the band leader from Saturday Night Live who came up with the idea for the Blues Brothers. Oh wow! And yeah, and Garrett Morris is sort of the hype man in in their kind of first time on. Uh, Saturday Night Live. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> introduces the band. Yeah, yeah. So, so that was like you know, it was like there's a whole, there's a whole kind of backstory behind the backstory about about this. I want to find a little bit more about when they played that Soul Man because because the, the the thing that everybody thinks is that when they came out and they played Soul Man, that was that was mm-hmm. 1979. So that was like three years. We're talking about three of years of just uh, them making appearances on Saturday yeah, Night Live. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but anyway, so. Because of the success and the album, you know, they got the green light for the movie. And as we mentioned, it became a nightmare for Universal Pictures because not only did it go wildly off schedule, but also over budget. And a large amount of that had to do with the amount of cocaine John Belushi was consuming. So here's sad. I mean, again, we were talking about like, you know, kind of, you know, bl- there was a budget for cocaine. Yeah. So as Dan Racker said, we had a, we had a budget in the movie for cocaine for night shoots. Everyone did it, including me, John. He just loved what, what it did. It, it sort of brought him alive at night. That superpower feeling where you can start to talk and converse and figure out you can solve all the problems in the world. And he just said, Coke fueled his performance as Belushi later said, it helped him be John Belushi. Yeah, well, I like how like like I like how Dan Aykroyd said, "Well, you know, I did, I was doing it too." <laughs> that's kind of that's buried in there. Um, so that presented some problems because Belushi was aware that he had a serious drug problem and considered going to rehab, but instead uh, chose to continue working on the film. He told his wife, "I'm fine." I can't stop now until I finish the movie. It'll be fine when it's over. Uh, director John Landis, uh, who, who was a teetotaler, didn't. You would think when you see the Blues Brothers that John Landis was just, you know, off his head on coke. But he 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 didn't drink or do drugs. 
Well, I mean, I think, I mean, before, kind of just wanted to make sure that we mentioned this for the uh, the uh, trivia nerds at home. So the interesting thing is that when they started, they're getting the Blues Brothers band together, um, they were talking with the one of the musical guys on Saturday Night Live at the time. It was a gentleman, by the, another Canadian, uh, like Dan mm-hmm. Aykroyd, by the name of Paul Schaefer. So some of you might recognize from uh, the head of the uh, David Letterman's band and also from the movie Spinal Tap. So, but Paul Schaefer was the guy who suggested all the guys to be, who to be make up the Blues Brothers band. And Paul Schaefer was supposed to be part of it, but he wound up having, cause he was, he was, he was actually on mm-hmm. SNL at the time. He was on SNL for a couple of years, a year or two. He's, you can see him. Yeah. Some he of the was episodes. a cast member. Yeah. He was kind a of a minor member. cast member. Yeah, I don't so think he, he was like official cast member. Nah, I think it was yeah. like in the opening credits, but, uh, yeah, he was in sketches. Yeah, he was in a couple of sketches, and he had commitments to SNL, so he couldn't be in the movie. So that's just always interesting when you see old Mr. Paul. And then he also he dated. I think he dated Gilda too. He dated a couple um, comedian people. I th- yeah, I think he dated Valerie Bertinelli. Yeah, and that means that too. <laughs> Mrs. Before, Eddie Van Halen. Maybe, maybe before Eddie Van Halen or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he 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 got around. Let's just say that. Yeah, so there's this, uh, I saw this like brief little uh, documentary on the making of the Blues Brothers that just kind of focused on the music. And the musicians like all said they would get like this phone call from Belushi at three in the morning, you know, without ever having a medium. It's like, this is John Belushi. Will you, will you be in my band? Yeah, yeah <laughs> so, exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, but but uh, there was a problem with the music, the suits, the suits at the studio had a problem with the music in the Blues Brothers, which, you know, it features the likes of, like, Aretha Franklin uh, and, suits. And, and James Brown. They wanted more kind of like a disco kind of feel of musical acts. They wanted uh, bands like Rolls Royce, who you might remember from the Car Wash soundtrack. Rolls Royce. Rolls Royce. Harmon. Yeah, instead of, Rose they Royce. thought, like, these older <laughs> blues acts wouldn't appeal to the kids. Yeah, well, we'll get into that because well, they also thought they might be a little too ethnic, you know. So they oh, thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was we'll also into uh, we'll had to do with uh, the release of the movie uh-huh. as well. And also, another note from the suits is they didn't want uh, John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd as Jake and Elwood wearing their sunglasses. Yeah, the whole time. <laughs> The whole, was, which, which which they do, except for one scene where yeah, the one, takes off his and sunglasses. it's it's actually pretty. It's a testament to to how like you know these people had this idea for the movie and they kind of thought thought out for it. And I just and I think it, it, it's it's like people say, you know, it's it is a mess, and but in the end, it kind of wor- it works, you know. Yeah, it, it was known for the, at the time for having the most car crashes yeah. in any other movie. Not, not, not which just, no, that dude. Record it was, was a, broken by the GI Joe movie. Yeah, I know, but it it was a Guinness World Record, dude. Most car crashes. Yeah, so even to the point, and this is also what made the budget go over that they had a scene. They actually dropped a car from a helicopter. That's right, onto dude. the streets the of Nazis. Chicago. Yep. <laughs> and and how would we do that now? We would do it CGI. CGI, dude. Boring. Yeah, yeah. So they, I think they bought just they bought a surplus of old Chicago police cars. And they yeah, just, they just bought a bunch of old cars. One. Yeah, and they're, I think they paid the the thing that I read was they paid they paid four hundred dollars for each car, but four hundred dollars in nineteen seventy nineteen eighty money yeah, nineteen seventy nine dollars. The filming began July nineteen seventy nine, and it was so it was initially shot in Chicago, and then they moved to L A. 
Belushi and Aykroyd were put up at the Astor Towers. They got the top two floors on Chicago's Gold Coast neighborhood. And pretty much the whole shoot revolved around Belushi. So um, according to production, when Coke got the best of Belushi, production stalled. And when production stalled, they burned through money because uh, they couldn't, you know, film. And Belushi was sort of the boss of the Blues Brothers, as Aykroyd recalls. Like when the band had a problem, they would turn to Belushi. And and people people just love Belushi. I mean, you could just get away with anything. Like um, this guy, Mitch Glazer, who wrote a biography about uh, the making of the Blues Brothers, said John would literally hail police cars like taxis. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the cops would say, hey, Belushi. And then he'd fall into the backseat and cops would give him a ride home. Yeah, and then here, and it's the same thing. This is like, and then they would have another bar. So they, I guess, they bought another bar in in uh, in Chicago. Chicago. Yeah, yeah. called called appropriately enough the Blues Club, and then they would just hang out there, and that was like their after hours bar. But then people started find, you know, people would find out it was like an open to the public bar, so people would start hanging out there, and you know, slipping Belushi all kinds of uh, you know vials full of things. Yeah, so it's just basically again like blue. Th- Belushi's kind of reputation was kind of like legendary where he just had to live up to it and just like kind of creepy hanger honors would just throw cocaine at him because it was like, I, I, I got John Belushi high. Yeah. You know? So they yep. ha- would have a story. Um, but I think like part of Belushi's appeal is like he had this like blue collar, you know, average Joe kind of feel to him. He was kind of like a Jackie Gleason kind of oh, yeah. charisma. Yeah, so again, all these creepy hanger honors were always trying to get, like, Belushi high to the point where John Landis hired a bodyguard for Belushi to kind of keep him away from drugs. Smokey, he was like he was like Joe Walsh's bodyguard, too. Yeah, like, I think there's a good quote from uh, Carrie Fisher at the time, and she's talking about the blues bars. And her quote was like, yeah, there was some girl who would hang out at the blues bar. She cleaned out the fish tank and, and provided mescaline. There are all these people that were enabling the party conti- to continue. So the fish the, the fish cleaning tank woman would give you mescaline and, and coke. Yeah, and again, so when Belushi was coked up, the kind of production stalled, and increasingly Jake sounded increasingly congested. That is funny because you know, I didn't think about that until I read that. And I was like, yeah. When you watch the movie, you can. What hear he him. sounds really congested. Yeah, he does. He can hear his nose. He can hear it. It's like, oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And sometimes he would show up hours late, or he shows up but would spend like you know time in his trailer sleeping it off and that was kind of like you know happening on saturday night live he just wouldn't turn up to rehearsal and the 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 ongoing catchphrase would be where's john yeah yeah. but that was saturday night live you know and then once the cameras rolled you know belushi was on but here he sometimes just wouldn't come out of his trailer i think there's a story where john landis came in and he saw on belushi's table in his trailer like a mountain of cocaine. Yeah, like, like, like Scarface to, style, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he said it's like Tony Montana, you know? And so so Landis, like, he took the coke and he flushed it down the toilet, which was like, you know, probably thousands of dollars worth, and, and Belushi had a fit, and they got, like, into a shoving match, which ended in, like, both of them Hugs. in tears, sobbing and apologizing. Yeah, yeah, so, so that was kind of, and actually at that point, Belushi was like, yeah, I need to kind of, you know, Something needs to be done. 
Yeah, but like uh, Landis was saying that that uh, that it, it was just like a battle to keep him alive and to keep him working on the movie. Like they couldn't like for they couldn't just shut down the movie and have Belushi go to mm. rehab. No, you couldn't have like, him go to rehab. Yeah, I mean, again, it was like the crazy eighties. I I mean, now that would happen. Like again, it's like all this shit wouldn't happen in twenty twenty. You no. know, it, uh-uh. they, you just like on day one, you know, Belushi would be in rehab. But here it's like, uh, you know, we don't want the media finding out we shut down because, you know, John Belushi's done too much coke. Well, they wouldn't. The thing is, nowadays, they wouldn't be able to start because you'd have to get insurance on him. And then, like, because, you know, because he's a star. And they're like, oh, you're still on coke? Yeah, no. This, this, this movie isn't going. We're not giving you, we're not giving you the money to do it. Yeah, there's one, there's one story that Dan Aykroyd told. Like, they were, they were filming at night. Um, it was like three in the morning, somewhere in like deserted Harvey, Illinois. Belushi disappears, and on a hunch, uh, Ackroyd follows his grassy path and spies <laughs> a house with the lights on. And he knocks on the door and he says, uh, "We're shooting a film over here. We're we're looking for one of our actors." <laughs> and, and and the man said, "Oh, do you mean Belushi?" And he he came in here an hour ago and raided my fridge. He's asleep on my couch. <laughs> so. So, so as, as uh, Ackroyd pointed out, like only John Belushi could pull this off, America's guest. Yeah, exactly. So uh, Ackroyd like, uh, woke him up. He said, John, uh, we have to get back to work. Belushi nods, rises. They walk back to the set as if nothing happened. So at this point, uh, was, was production right on schedule? Were they oh. keeping to the seventeen point five million dollar oh, no. budget? I, as we mentioned, all right, that that seventeen point five million dollar budget later escalated to a thirty million dollar budget. So no, we are not. We have not. And then I think filming was supposed to wrap in August, and then it kind of turned into October. Yeah. So so it kept going. Yeah. So they wound up being kind of about ten million dollars over budget. You know, and the thing is. <clears throat> they can't use a double. There's no doubles for uh, for Jake. There's nobody Belushi. can double double Belushi. Yeah, yeah. They can't shut down the pl- production. They can't wait for him to uh, go through rehab. You know, <clears throat> and one of the uh, executives tell tells Lou Wasserman, who is the oh sorry, just said that very German. <laughs> Lou Wasserman, who uh, who's like the head of the production. He's just like Lou. There's a core problem. There's a basic problem with John Belushi, and we're not getting through, and we're just getting through with it. And Wasserman just says. Just finish the movie. Get on with it. And that was like, that was like the thing from every executive. Kind of very just, not 2020. No, just <laughs> not very woke. Just finish the movie. Yeah, and people working on it thought it was going to be like the biggest flop to the point where they started nicknaming the Blues Brothers movie 1942. <laughs> A nod to Belushi's previous movie, 1941. I can get it, man. I mean, and those two, those two movies actually kind of a lot like kind of in common. Belushi, Ackroyd, whatever. You know, Spielberg. Spielberg has a cameo in Blues Brothers. I don't know if you want to talk about it now. Come oh, also, also uh, Pee Wee Herman. Paul and Pee Wee Herman. But it went before he was Pee Wee, kind of, really. Paul Rubens. Yeah, he, he plays it. like a waiter, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's just a waiter. Yep. <laughs> he's in there. As he did in the Cheech and Chong movie. Yep, the Cheech and Chong. Yep, he's the same thing. Yep. I don't remember which one that was, but he's in there as well. But he was also, but also that yeah, Cheech and Groundlings. Yeah, it was all Cheech and Chong movies, a lot of the round. Actually, even the, even in Up in Smoke, there's a couple Groundlings in that one, I think. Yeah, those are good. Yeah, we'll have to do a Cheech and Chong. Oh, Up in Smoke, dude. Uh, up in Smoke's still funny, dude. 
Yeah, just stoner Dude, guys. Can't go wrong. Yeah, it's Cheech and Chong are, yeah. are, are amazing. Yeah, so, Dude. yeah, not only that, like, Belushi would just also do, like, just dumb stuff. Like, like one time, they, they moved to L.A., to finish shooting and a kid rode by on a skateboard and yeah this and, is it yeah, and Belushi is... asked to ride his skateboard and he fell off and then he just like destroyed his knee yeah so they they had a call like an or, or orthopedic and this is the same guy this is Lou Lou Wasserman who was like the, the head of like production at Universal yeah and he called he calls the top orthopedist in town he's like hey it's, it's Thanksgiving he's like I need you to come out to go to work on Belushi and the orthopedist says no it's it's Thanksgiving weekend and uh, I, I'm on my way to Palm Springs and then, and then Wasserman replies he's like nope no you're not not yet <laughs> so they they pay this guy and he fucking wraps up Belushi's knees and they give him a lot of drugs and then they they finish the movie yeah and I, I don't know if it was like they shot last like the uh, music scene in the prison but that's like a lot of dancing and stuff. So if it was that scene, so that one, you know. so that one does. Like we talked about this, so that one's got a lot of. Um, I'm just bringing this up because you mentioned that. So uh, this movie has a lot of cameos, and in that, I didn't mm-hmm. even know this until I was reading. So in the prison scene, the first, the first prisoner who jumps up on the table is Joe Walsh. The guy from, you know, guitar player from the Eagles and also the guy who they, shared, they shared a common bodyguard. Both the bodyguard, yeah. yeah, Storm, uh, Stormy. Smokey, Smokey, yeah. Smokey, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And the other one, the other cameo that I had forgotten about from um, Blues Brothers was uh, Shaka Khan. She's one of the uh, the choir members. And also, it's not really a cameo, but Henry Gibson. Oh, Henry Gibson. Oh. Laughing. Yeah, he's the Chicago Nazi. Who, who's great in? I love the movie Nashville. Yeah, he's oh, great he's great. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's they're, they're playing off. Here's the thing: is they're playing off in this movie in Blues Brothers. The Chicago Nazis is playing off that whole Skokie, Illinois thing. Which oh is yeah, like, yeah, yeah. There was like a thing where they they were gonna go march through a Jewish neighborhood. A Jewish Skokie, neighborhood, Illinois. yeah, full of Holocaust survivors, and then the Chicago, uh, you know, chapter of the Nazi Party wanted to do that. So they they kind of incorporate, and that was actually not too earlier before the movie so this is a co- maybe uh-huh. a couple years before the movie so they like kind of incorporate they wind up incorporating that into the movie so that's pretty you know that's a little that's a why the story now there you go yeah yeah and then they drop the uh nazi car onto the streets of <laughs> no, uh, dude, chicago weird. yeah <laughs> where nazi number two says turns to henry gets him as they're falling <laughs> to their death <laughs> i have always loved you <laughs> I know, dude, it's great, dude. <laughs> that's a laugh out loud <laughs> oh, dude man that's just um it, the movie is still good, you know? It's like, all right, you know? it's eh. Yeah, so, it, you know, we kind of harped on just Belushi being a complete fuck-up in the movie, but, you know, you'd have to say that, you know, his two best movies were Animal House and Blues Brothers. Yeah. Hands down. I mean, yeah, the rest were kind of just flops. I mean, again, he didn't make that many movies because, uh, yeah, um, two years later, he would be dead. Yeah, Which we'll no. talk about. Uh, which is like, oh man, we'll talk about it in the next episode. But there's just insane stories involving Robin Williams and, yeah. and Robert and De Niro. Robert and De Niro, Dean dude. Stanton. Yeah. Well, Harry Dean Stanton's in there. Okay. All right. Well, I'll yeah, do my research yeah, yeah. on that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The that's Chate- a whole Chateau Marmont. I had cocktails yeah. there. Yes. Yeah. Right. It's right, you know, down the street from the comedy store, though, so on the Sunset Boulevard. Mm-hmm. But so, anyways, uh, they, they wrap filming uh, uh, the Blues Brothers. You know, did what happened? Was it a success immediately? 
Got him playing at all the cinemas across the country. Here's a weird thing, Harmon. So the uh, so for a typical big budget movie back in the in the 80s, they had booked into about 1,400 theaters across the United States. Um, and they, the Blues Brothers, they only booked into about 600 theaters. And a lot of the exhibitors, like the people who like show the movies, they were afraid because they're like, "Well, this is a, this is a, this is a black-oriented movie." They were like, really like, "Oh no, this is this is going to appeal to uh, white audiences." So there's a very weird little, not little. Racism. There's a very yeah, it's, it's a little bit, a little, yeah, <laughs> a little bit of racism, and now. You know, to like you said, you know, you, you want to harp on Belushi about being all fucked up. I was like, dude, these guys had a vision and they did it. You know, they're like, we want to make this movie about the blues, about the original people yeah. who are behind it, and they, and they helped, they stuck to that. You know. Yeah, and you know, all those musicians are legendary. And if the studios had it their way, it would have, the music featured would have been Rolls Royce, <laughs> Rolls Royce soundtrack. Who just a minor footnote in in music history? And instead, we get you know fucking Aretha Franklin, Cab Calloway, James Brown. Um, yeah, Cab Calloway. Yeah, it's great, man. Maeve Butcher and then um, uh, uh, Ray Charles. Dude, come on. Can't yeah, go wrong with that, dude. Yeah, plus you know the blues band, which is like Steve Cropper, you know, guys from the guitars. the original, the actually a couple of original guys who originally played on the Soul Man record, uh, guys who were in uh, Booker T and the MGs, you know, pizza, mm-hmm. guys who played in the Stax records, you know, the original, you know. Oh my God, what's your okay? Before we wind down here, what's your favorite scene in the Blues Brothers movie? Mm, oh, good question. Oh, heavens to Betsy Ross. I got mine. Okay, what well, you you go first. <laughs> where they're playing the chicken shack behind the the chicken wire okay that's pretty good <laughs> the road gig because it's like every every comedian like when we go on the road and we have the shitty one-nighter we always refer to that that scene in the blues brothers yeah yeah where, well I'll... we're practically playing behind chicken wire yeah. while they throw beer bottles at us <laughs> i like uh when when uh when uh is talking about uh they're like how are they trying to f- how are they finding us these guys and it's just very accurate. He's like, they've got, and they're sitting in the Bluesmobile, and he's like, they've got scamads. And Belushi's like, what do you mean? State, county, municipal, uh, auto detection. You know, he's, he's like ranting off this, like, you know, crazy computerized system that the, you know, that the uh, Illinois county cops have. And so it's a very accurate moment. Oh, yeah. So here's something. Uh, so Ackroyd wrote the screenplay for Blues Brothers, and he wrote, uh, or was one of the writers of the screenplay. I think he wrote the first draft of Ghostbusters. How come he hasn't written a good movie after that? Yeah, we, we're not going to talk about Doctor Detroit, are we? That's going to be another. That's a whole. Nother. <laughs> did he write the screenplay for that? <laughs> I don't as know well? if he did. We'll need to get into that. <laughs> good Devo song, though, as we oh, covered in the history of Devo <laughs> on not on that Comedy good. History it's okay. I'll, I'll go. I'll say it's okay. It's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just funny. Yeah, Devo song. So, so I'm gonna like like uh, why the story now, Harmon, to end up here. So he said, "I am. You're in the states. I'm in Berlin." Just wanted to drop this in here right at the end here. Sure. Um, so there's a, a open air movie theater across the street from me. This happened a month ago, two months ago, before before lockdown. We can go see movies out in the open. Um, so they were showing. Uh, Blues Brothers extended cut. So there's an extended cut of the blue, really? the blue. Yeah. So when the movie was what's, done, what's in it? Yeah. So when the movie was done, 
Um, as, as we already mentioned, so the original script was 300 whatever pages, where a normal script, yeah, yeah, well, the normal script is about 120 or so. Um, yeah, it's like so, one 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 minute a page. Yeah, generally. about about. So Universal made um, when they were done. Universal made uh, Landis cut about 25 minutes from it. So they have a uh, it's called the Blues Brothers Extended Cut, which I think only adds about maybe 15 minutes to it. And uh-huh. they were sh- they were showing it here in in uh, <clears throat> in Berlin, and uh, at the uh, open air movie theater across the street from me, could not could, couldn't get a ticket, dude. Every night it was sold out. <laughs> so, oh, wow. so, but uh, so I've, I I but I've, I've seen the extended cut online. So there's a couple, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's actually kind of you know it's all right. You know I can see why they cut it, but like there's a scene where they explain. Um, why the Blues Mobile kind of has magical powers? You know, if you watch the oh, movie, oh yeah, it had yeah. like a bat cave under the Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Is so it they, the L? Or there's the that. There's Chicago yeah, train yeah, line. Kind of, something like that. He he's parking next to a, a huge like um you know power transformer. And yeah. then there's another scene where there's a scene where the where in the, it's at, it's in the movie where Elwood says, "I'm gonna go quit my job." And there's actually mm-hmm. a scene in the movie where he quits the job, but the jo- his job is working in a, in a factory where he makes those these. I can't remember where it is. It's it's like some kind of pressurized gas and spray can, and that's why huh. that that. Remember in the movie when he's in the elevator and he pulls out that can out of his briefcase, and he and he right. like that's that's it. That's how he explains it because he was working at this factory that made those cans. Because there's a couple scenes <laughs> in the movie where he pulls those out. Yeah, it was like oh, this is interesting. So uh, strange enough, you know, again, Blues Brothers, iconic comedy movie. Uh, I think it was, it clocked in at number 10 of 1980 as far as like raking in money, but actually kind of got some bad reviews up front. Uh, I think Washington Post called it a ponderous comic monstrosity. Uh, they declared it a epic disaster. Ugh. I don't know. It's not, um, it's, not that, it's not that bad. It's not bad, dude. No, no, but no. I mean, it it, it made a hundred and fifteen million dollars, you know, after being released. But Belushi, when it when it came out, he would drive from theater to theater around New York, you know, gauging audiences. Aykroyd watched it in a movie theater in Town Square in Times Square, and noted he detected laughter. Yeah. So I think I think I think I think Landis or somebody pointed out there like this is like one of the first movies. Uh, for Universal that made more money overseas than in the States. All right, so so Scott, any other takeaways from the history of John Belushi's filming of the Blues Brothers? Uh, if you're working on a movie, man, make sure you have cocaine in the budget. Yeah, I don't think they have those cocaine. Not anymore, dude. Anymore. <laughs> yeah. Back in the old, that was the 80s, man. Here, here. So that concludes the history of John Belushi and the filming of the Blues Brothers. We have one more episode on the history of John Belushi, which is kind of covers the uh, filming of Na- Neighbors. Uh, uh, which, by the way, just as a teaser, did you know Neighbors was directed by John Abbotson? Yeah, kind of directed from Rocky. Rocky. Yeah, I knew that. It, yeah. And written by uh, Larry Gelbert. From MASH. Who created MASH. Yeah. Well, I've created And was yeah. in, uh, spoiler alert, Big Flop. Anyway, we'll get into it the next one. Yeah, I was, I was going to say some more trivia, but yeah. Yeah, so with that, it's time to plug away. Scott, what do you have to plug? Oh, Harmon. Oh, Harmon, Harmon, Harmon. Well, I have, and Harmon has, sometimes Harmon's on there, but I do. We do have a uh, another uh, podcast slash 
YouTube channel called This is the President, where we post all things presidential, all bits of presidential trivia and audio. Actually, just post a – Harmon, you know what? I just posted a video about the day that Bill Clinton saved Hanukkah. Have you seen that one? Oh, no. But, no, it's uh, crazy. Was Hanukkah coming under attack? No, no, kind of dude. Like the war on Christmas, dude. It was like it's even worse. You know what happened is that that uh, President Clinton invited a bunch of children into his uh, Oval Office back in 1993, and one of the children's hair caught on fire from the menorah. What? Yeah. Was was it was it Michael Jackson? It was filmed, and it was filmed, and you can see that on the channel at youtubecom slash president. We also do a podcast, and we'll have Harmon on. We're going to talk about this whole episode on the podcast as well. You can find that on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Last FM, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts. That's This Is the President on podcast and YouTube. Harmon, I've yeah. plugged away. Thank you. Yeah, and as <laughs> always, you could like, subscribe, and comment on Comedy History 101, wherever you get your podcasts, or on our website, ComedyHistory101.com. Also, sponsor Comedy History 101. We are an independent podcast, completely ad-free. So check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash ch101. Donate a few dollars each month and we can buy new microphones and keep the comedy history rolling. And with that, thanks a lot for tuning in and bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're stupid. Everybody's so stupid. Good thing about doing comedy in Russia, you have captured audience. You're stupid. Everybody's so stupid. Comedy History 101.